invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in a few different passages from this book this morning, um, and all of the verses are also listed on the back of the worship folder along with an outline that may help you to follow along with where we're, where we're going this morning. This is our second week in a fall series uh, of sermons called Wise Words, Lessons from Proverbs. And as we said uh, last week, um, you can find Proverbs in just about every culture around the world down through history. Proverbs, short, memorable sayings uh, of, uh, that, that seek to pass down wisdom from one generation to another. Uh, but the Proverbs we're looking at, of course, are those from the Bible. Uh, and so these wise words claim to be God's word to us, true, trustworthy words of life. And each week uh, through this fall, we're taking a different topic, an aspect of maybe a personal character or of interpersonal relationships, and looking at a handful of Proverbs to get a taste, just a taste, of biblical wisdom. And today our topic is humility and its opposite, pride. I wonder what your reaction to that is. A few possible reactions, I'm sure. So some might be saying, well, I thought this series was going to be practical, practical wisdom. This sounds like some kind of, you know, inner moral virtue. Uh, oh, but it's, it's way more than that. Because, because getting, to the, getting to the heart, getting to the attitudes and the perspectives we have are getting at the root uh, that, that will shape then your behavior. It will shape your perspective on other people. Um, and, it, and for better or for worse, whether you are more proud or more humble. Another reaction might be is like humility. I mean, especially if you're a regular part of our church, you're like, uh, haven't we talked about this before? I mean, just a few weeks ago, we were in uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. We, we talked about this before. Humility came up in our series from Daniel, or, uh, the prophet, earlier this year. Came up in Philippians last fall. Came up in James summer a year ago. Uh, but Proverbs gives us a unique perspective on pride, humility. And if it comes up again and again in Proverbs, and it comes up again and again throughout the whole Bible, maybe it's something we need to hear again and again. Uh, most likely... Uh, this morning, if you have a, a negative reaction to this topic, it's probably because you see it as something completely negative. Like, humility means just, it's, it's about having a low self-esteem, which many people see as damaging. In fact, what it is, is about cultivating a healthy perspective, a healthy view of self, of others, and ultimately of God. A healthy view. So, here are today's wise words. Be humble. It is wise to be humble because, and we're going to finish that sentence in four ways illustrated by four Proverbs. They're on the back of the worship folder, as I said, and will be on the screen. So, here's the first one. It is wise to be humble because pride mocks. Proverbs 21-24 says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. You're like, hmm, well, this proverb isn't really 
telling uh, us to do anything as a wise way to live. It's just describing what a proud man or woman is like. And there are a number of proverbs like this. It's, it, it, it serves to help the, the young or the naive or just plain ignorant. And the wisdom here is to help us recognize pride for what it is. We use the word proud in some fairly innocent ways. You can be proud of your grandkids. You can be proud of you know, a, a job well done. Um, but we also know about, about proud, being proud as something that's not good, being self-absorbed, having, having a, an inflated sense of, of self-importance. And that's foolish. Uh, and Proverbs talks a lot about folly as opposed to wisdom. But this, this is describing the, something at the extreme, completely ugly uh, in attitude, arrogant and haughty, describes someone so proud that their sense of superiority leads them to look with utter contempt on everyone else. Contempt. It's that element of contempt that really stands out in this proverb. And if, if all this proverb said was that arrogant, proud people act in arrogant, proud ways, well, that's not a lot of wisdom or insight there. What this problem points to is the name. It's, it's the identification of this proud man as a scoffer, or other translations, as a mocker. Now, it's not always bad to laugh at things that are, uh, at something in a dismissive way. In fact, at the end of this book, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, it speaks of an, a diligent woman this way. She is not afraid of snow for her household, not, not afraid of coming winter, not afraid of snow for her household. This is Proverbs 31, 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She's so industrious, so well-prepared that she is not afraid of winter. She's not afraid of adverse circumstances. She laughs at the time to come. Ha! Now, that's not exactly the same word that we, that's used here in, in our verse uh, that we're looking at here, Proverbs 21, 24. But it has the same idea, laughing dismissively. No, no fear because it's just, it's just not a threat. We see that kind of mockery as a good thing elsewhere in the Bible when Elijah, I remember the prophet Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal, the false god, when, when their god, their so-called god, never answered their prayers. He didn't respond to their cries. He, he didn't uh, respond to their offering. That, that god wasn't worthy of any respect, let alone worship. Ha! But this... This kind of scoffing from the arrogant is a settled attitude of contempt. Everything, everyone is beneath me. It disgusts me. Like, ugh. It should be clear enough why you would want to avoid this person. I mean, who wants to be on, on the other end of that kind of mockery, on the receiving end? But why would you want to avoid be, being this person? Why is this unwise? Because if you are arrogant, if you have a settled attitude of contempt, you will be dismissive of what is truly good, of what is truly honorable. You will be dismissive of people whom God made in His image. You will be dismissive of 
righteousness, that, that which is right and good and true, what, what God says is right and good and true. You'll be dismissive of God himself. The atheist who mocks God, well, you know, sure, that's obvious. We, we, we get that. We know that's something to be avoided. But then you get something more subtle, the comedian who mocks biblical morality. Well, that's, that's a little more alluring. We, we laugh along and, and then maybe don't always realize, wait a minute, we're laughing at things that are good. We're laughing at things that are right, things that are true. Can I give you a warning that might be a little closer to home for, the, I, I don't know everyone who's seated here, but I think this is probably closer to where we're at. I, I enjoy some good satire. I mean, if you know um, a website like The Onion uh, who makes spoof news, but there's a, there's a Christian version of this. I don't know if you're aware. The Babylon Bee. Uh, they, they spoof the news with hilarious takes on politics and church. And, and of course, here's the thing. There's plenty to make fun of in government and in culture and, yes, even in the church among Christians. Plenty to make fun of. But satire is only good in small doses. May may I encourage you in that way? Because a steady diet of satire, a steady diet of sarcasm, will turn you eventually into a cynic. It leads to cynicism, which which I mean by that is just just a negative attitude. Nothing is worth taking seriously. And in too much, you become a, a critic of everything and a lover of nothing. We can't afford to do that. So don't cultivate a sense of superiority. Oh, yeah, I'm not as, I'm not as stupid as those people, you know, who, who believe that in politically. Or I'm not, I'm, we're not that kind of church. <laughs> the, those, those people, they're, they're idiots. They're fools. They're, they're suckers. No, we're not, we're not those people. And you're cultivating a sense of superiority, a cultivating a sense of contempt, and it hurts others, it will hurt and corrupt you. On the other hand, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Instead of hanging out with the mockers, Happy, blessed, happier is the one who delights in what God says is good. doesn't mean that there's not an appropriate time to make fun of that which is foolish, silly, even, yes, stupid. But what are we feeding on? What are we delighting in? Isn't this what we want, the blessed life? It's wise to be humble because pride mocks. And secondly, because pride falls. Part two. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, I've, I've already confessed an appreciation for satire. Well, to go even more lowbrow, I have to admit, I also enjoy fail videos. You've, you've seen these, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? So think of the opposite of sports highlights, top 10 plays of the week. Opposite, think a compilation video of ordinary people uh, doing things and failing, uh, and usually falling. So whether that's... Uh, 
you know, somebody who's trying to ride a hoverboard in a cramped living room and going down, taking the floor lamp with them, or, you know, trying to sit in a hammock and falling out the back end, or walking in a room with a birthday cake and singing and then tripping and face first. Oh, yeah. I can just watch over and over. And the, and the algorithm knows it. It keeps like, here, want to watch another one? Yeah, all right. I don't know what that says about me. You can, you can psychoanalyze me later. But the, uh, it's hilarious, right? right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is, but th- that's, that's funny. That's silly. Nobody gets really hurt. This verse is talking about utter ruin. We're talking about crash and burn, destruction. I almost didn't include this proverb because for, if you've been a Christian a long time, you probably heard this over and over. You know this very well, and it's so simple, right? Two lines that basically say the same thing. Uh, but the wisdom here is crucial. I think this is partly because it's so well, so well known because we can, it's so vivid. We can see that we have seen it, and it's so important. We can't afford to miss this. Pride has a destiny. So the, the previous verse was, was an identity, scoffer. This is destiny. Pride has a destiny, and it is not good. This, this is a worst-case scenario. A proud attitude, a haughty spirit, ends in destruction. In this verse, both the Hebrew words here, ones translated as pride and haughty, have the idea of being exalted or high. So even though you probably don't use the old English word haughty, um, it's, a, it's a great translation because the word literally means high. Um, as in thinking you are above everyone else, everyone else is beneath you. It's that contemptuous pride again. And, and but here's the thing, and that height makes the fall especially dramatic, especially catastrophic. It's kind of like the David and Goliath story, right, from the Bible? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's a proverb, but not from the Bible. Um, the word proud is not used in 1 Samuel 17, where that story is found. You can read it all there. But it does say that Goliath disdained David. There's that contempt. He, he was not like, what are you sending, what are you sending out to me? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the champion. I'm the mighty warrior sending out dogs to fight me with sticks. I mean, what, what am I? And we, we know what happened to Goliath, though. He went down. He fell dead. And the Goliath story is a great illustration of the way that you can take this proverb in two ways. One, if you're, if you're the little guy who seemed to be outmatched by the proud, if you're looked, looked down on by all that who are high and mighty, take hope. Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Take hope is part of the wisdom here. If you're on, the, under, if you're on the, the wrong side of this equation, but the main thrust here is take warning. Take warning. Don't succumb to the temptation to think that you've got what it takes. You may be talented. You may have money. You may be stronger than everyone around you. You might be the champion, whether in the classroom or the athletic field, in business or in politics, just like Goliath was for the Philistines. They might, you know, everybody might be like, who are we sending out to do battle? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's you. You might, be, you might be the man. You might be the woman. You might be Goliath, unmatched by anyone else in size and strength, a, a giant, a titanic figure. Except we know what happened to the Titanic, right? 
went down. It's when you get cocky. It's when you believe that you are unsinkable, that you are unstoppable, when you are so sure that you can't possibly fail. I'm too big to fail. When you think you're on top and looking down on everyone else, look out, you're going down. Centuries ago, a pastor named Matthew Henry wrote about this verse. He said, and he's speaking of the proud and the haughty here, they will be brought down either by repentance or by ruin. They will be brought down either by repentance or by ruin. Now, that's not what this proverb says. It, this proverb only anticipates destruction. That's how they're going to be brought down. But Matthew Henry is going by what we learn from the rest of Scripture, that there's another way to go down, there's another way to get low, and it's the only way to avoid destruction. It's repentance or ruin. True repentance is turning from your pride. Now, this wisdom, we could get that wisdom from this proverb, right? If, if the pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, you, you, you think about it just a, a little bit. Wisdom is like, okay, I better, better turn away from pride. Repentance takes it a step further. Turn from your pride and turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. And that takes us to our next proverb. So if we, he said it's wise to be humble because pride mocks and pride falls. It's wise to be humble because, part three, humility rises. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't we already cover the fear of the Lord last week? Wasn't, that wasn't in the sermon? Yeah, we looked at Proverbs 9.10 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so, yes, the first line of here of 15.33 sounds like what we think, well, we already know that, right? Uh, fear of the Lord is, is foundational to wisdom. It's square one. You start here and build on it from there. And, and the second line here sounds, well, a lot like the opposite of our previous verse. Pride goes before destruction. Here, humility comes before honor. We'll, we'll come back to that. But how do these lines go together? Why are, why are these two lines in this one proverb in 1533? Remember what we said last week about Proverbs? This is just how they work. Most of them have two lines that work together to help us get to the truth, get to the wisdom that we need. Some of them say basically the same thing. It's, a, it's, it's emphasis by repetition. Some of them say the, almost the same thing from slightly different perspective to help us kind of zero in on the truth. Some of them, two lines, say the exact opposite to, to, to create such a stark contrast. It's this, not that. All of, us, all of them trying to, in different ways, two lines to get us to the wisdom that we need. Okay, so how do, how do these two lines go together? Or we could just ask more specifically, how did the fear of the Lord, how does the fear of the Lord and humility go together? They're, they're not the same, and they're, not, they're not identical, but they do complement one another. And I think just, uh, just a moment of thinking about this, and we'll see this clearly. If you, if you have, to use the words of Proverbs 9, 10 again, if you have the knowledge of the Holy One, 
If you know God in all of his majesty and his glory, all his holy purity, all his perfections, so that you stand in awe of him in a, in a worshiping submission, we said was a, as a, another way to describe the fear of the Lord, a worshiping submission to him. So both loving and obeying him in reverence and awe, you can describe that as the fear of the Lord. But it, it should be easy to see, I think, how that kind of perspective on who God is and who, where you stand in relation to God, it, it puts you in a posture of humility, naturally, right? You're, you're right there. There's, if, if you know who God is, if you know who you are in relation to God, then there's no room for human pride when you see yourself in right relation to God. How smart do you think you are? How, how strong? How good-looking? You might look pretty good compared to others around you. You might, you might be the top, maybe, but you're small potatoes compared to God. You might think you're pretty good compared to the, to the idiots, the jerks, the bums that, that surround us in our world, and you're like, you know, yeah, I, I think I'm doing okay. You know, I, th- I, think I'm, I think I'm all right. But when you see God for who he is, holy, 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 we say with the prophet Isaiah, I am undone. Meaning, I, I just, I'm, I'm coming apart. There's, there's, I, there's nothing in me that makes me like, to, like, yeah, I got something here. Like, phew. I'm devastated when I see God for all that he is. Or we would respond with Job. At the end of that book, Job 40, verse 4, Job says, after he sees the glory and majesty and power and wisdom of God, and he says, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you, God? I I lay my hand on my mouth. You know, like, like once, once we really get a sense for who God is, we, we stop arguing with him. We stop like, well, yeah, God, but what about this? Or we stop defending ourselves. We stop accusing him. We say like, okay, I, I, when we really know who God is. And that humility, that kind of humility is part of the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. Or in other words, pride is not possible when we really grasp who God is. So in principle, at least, there should be no way for a Christian to be proud. Arrogant Christian should be an oxymoron. It's sad that I have to say should. I have to say it should be an oxymoron. That, That doesn't make any sense for a Christian to be arrogant. So why, do, why is it that we succumb to pride so often? Why is it that we can't say, well, there, there, are, no, there are no arrogant Christians because that's impossible? No, why can't we say that? Why is it so often untrue? We succumb to pride. We, I think it's because we, we take our eyes off the Lord and we start to focus on ourselves. It's, it's, that, it's that simple. Uh, why, why are we not only succumb to pride, but we are suckers for the proud, meaning the, the, the proud, the big shots, the people that want to put themselves like, oh yeah, we're the greatest, and we're like, oh okay, yeah, let's follow them. You know, the, these celebrities, these politicians, these athletes, these are, oh yeah, they're, they're great, we'll go after them. Why are we, not only we succumb to pride and we're suckers for the proud, we, we believe their boast that what they promise, what they hold is what is good for us. It's, it's foolishness. It is folly. But the wisdom of God's word tells us something different. Humility comes before honor. 
If we're looking for glory and we're going after the proud to get a little something of the glory, or we're pursuing our own pride to reach the glory, no, that's not how it works. Here's the wisdom. Humility comes before honor. Just as pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, it's just just where it's going. It's what it's leading to. Humility comes before honor. This, This too is a wisdom that we need because it is a truth that we do not expect. If you want to come out, what we think, our world tells us all the time and in so many ways, if you want to come out on top, you got, man, you got to, you got to make a big splash. You got, to, you got to believe in yourself and you got to go big or go home. That's how you get attention. That's how you get applause. That's how you matter. But the wisdom of this book and it's, it's proved true. I mean, this is an old, yeah, it's an old book, but here's the thing. It's proved true year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. Pride goes before destruction. Humility comes before honor. And now, because it's a short proverb, and it's what proverbs are, it doesn't explain how this happens. How does humility come before honor? And so we're left again to think to meditate, to chew on this. Well, how does humility come before honor? It might be pointing us to the way that you will be better positioned for success when you don't assume that you know it all. If you're humble enough to listen, humble enough to learn, humble enough to keep practicing, to fail, and then try again to keep on going, humble enough to do all that, that you will be set up for more success. It may be it may be pointing us to the way that the proud end up being despised by all the people that they held in contempt, while the humble are appreciated for the way they put others first. Yeah, it could, it could be pointing to all those things. But here's one more line of thought that I haven't spelled out yet. Is, is the reality that pride goes before destruction and humility comes before honor, is that natural or supernatural? That question might not be very, like, what? Well, what I mean is this. Is a proud person naturally, just naturally susceptible to their own destruction because they can't see their own weakness? Uh, on the other hand, is a humble person just naturally prone to success because they don't take anything for granted and they treat people better? Yes, I think we can say it. It happens naturally because... God made the world that way. There is a nature to nature, so to speak. But can I add this? And this is an important dimension. Pride falls and humility rises not only naturally, but supernaturally. What I mean by that is God acts to take the proud down and to lift up the humble. So it's wise to be humble because humility rises and because, this is point four, Humility pleases. This, this next verse says, it pleases God and we are blessed. Proverbs 3, 4, speaking of the Lord, toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. So this proverb brings us full circle. So it's to where we started this sermon, right? The, the word translated as scorner, scornful here is the same as scoffer, 
back in our first verse, Proverbs 21, 24. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, does this create a problem? If God is the one who is scornful, then your scoffing is bad, uh, does, does that mean God is acting in a proud or arrogant way to, to scorn someone? No, in fact, it's actually, it's perfectly fair and just in a, in a few ways, right? He's, God is just giving back to them what they gave to others. Perfectly fair, right? He's just giving back to them what they gave to others. And as the proud and scornful, they presented themselves as the deserving. And God is just giving them the treatment that they truly deserve. This is how you want it? You, 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 you're presenting yourself as the deserving? I, I deserve attention. I deserve applause. I deserve to be front of the line, top of the heap. Well, let me give you what you really deserve, if that's how you want it. As I said before, we see uh, in the Bible a, a mockery of what is foolish and false, and it is perfectly appropriate. Not only uh, Elijah, one example, but the Lord does this as well. We can see this one example in Psalm 2. In, in Psalm 2, I already quoted Psalm 1, Psalm 2. The nations of the world are described as in rebellion against God. All the kings of the, the world plotting together against the king of the universe, they have no fear of the Lord. And what is his reaction? Well, Psalm 2, verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. Ha! The Lord holds them in derision. That is a righteous contempt. And what is the conclusion of the psalmist? The end of that psalm, Psalm 2? Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Got some wise words for you here. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What we sang earlier, with trembling, rejoice. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, which is, in effect, a call to humble yourself. If you read Psalm 2 and, other, and similar passages like Psalm 37 or Psalm 59, you'll see God's laughter is not, not amusement, as if he's watching the tantrum of a toddler and like, <laughs> but I wouldn't. You shouldn't laugh at a tantrum of a toddler either, but, you know, that happens. We, we laugh at the tantrum of a toddler, but that's not what God is doing. He is laughing, holding them in derision. This is a prelude to judgment because pride goes before destruction. We cannot say, well, I don't, I'm sitting here and I don't care what God thinks of me. You know, that's, uh, that's not my concern. I'll, I'll leave, tell you what, I'll leave God alone and he can just leave me alone. But here's the thing. We all live in God's world. Just like when you live, when you live in the United States, you're born in the United States, you're a citizen of the United States, you don't get to say, well, you know what, I'm choosing to, to live by the laws of Spain or I'm choosing to live by the laws of Greenland. No, you, this, you're in the United States. You're subject to the Constitution. You're in God, we're, we're all in God's world here, folks. He's in charge. His law is what obtains in this world. And one day, truth will win, and justice will be done, and the proud will fall. And the humble, those who are humble because they stand in right relation to God, the humble will rise. 
But on the heels of these wise words come of warning, the proud will fall, come this promise of hope, the to the humble, he gives favor. Or if you see the footnote, if you have your Bible open there, uh, to Proverbs three thirty four, the footnote there says, favor or grace. Favor is the kind of, of blessing that comes from a king. You come before the king and seek his favor. Grace is, is what is offered as a gift. And even that, we, even in our tradition uh, uh, centuries ago of, of regarding kings or queens as your grace, that the acknowledgement is they have all the power, they have all the authority, they have all the resources. I come and whatever I get is out of your generosity, out of your kindness, out of your mercy. That's how we come to God. So please, please don't hear as we, as we come to the close of this, please don't hear this as a call to be good and so deserve his favor, deserve his grace. Now there are many things I would love for you to do out of this. Uh, there are many ways for you, I would love for you to seek and pursue humility. And, but first and foremost, for all the ways, what are, what are, so practically, how do we do this? Well, practically, we need to keep God in view. Keep, continue to see yourself in relationship, in right relationship to God. And some of that is just, some of that could be, well, participating in worship. Do you know that that's part of what we're doing is seeking to cultivate the wisdom uh, as we sing in worship, we exalt him. We, like God, God has maybe settled a little too much in our thoughts and in our estimation. He's, he's just kind of come down to earth in the wrong kinds of ways. And we, you know what? To worship, to sing his praise, to remember all that he's done. We need to, no, we're going to push him back up. He, he has not come down, but he's come down in our estimation. We worship, we, get, we put Remember where God is and where we are. We come as we worship also. We come with our need. We, we do this when we pray. We come with thanksgiving. Yes, we come with confession. We remember that, yes, we are sinners. We're only welcomed by your grace and mercy. We come with our requests and our needs. We pray. In our praying, we should be all the time continuing to remind ourselves of who God is and who we are. And it should be reinforcing a humility. We, we should come in our prayers humbly, but our prayers themselves should be humbling us and exalting Him. There, there are many practical ways to put that in, not just, again, coming to church on Sunday, but through the week, remembering who you are and who God is and how you go together in prayer, in reading God's Word, in coming together in worship, in simply putting others first. Is it that revolutionary? Is it, you know, instead of saying, I'm up here, you're down here, I matter, you don't, I'm, I'm important, you get out of the way, how can I affirm your dignity? How can I respect your significance that is created by God? Not, not something, I'm not, I'm not trying to honor you because you're so, uh, b- because I, I, I uh, worship your abilities, your, uh, the, the resources, the money that you have, or the, the good looks. I'm not, I'm not worshiping those things. I'm just trying to honor the image of God in you. I'm trying to respect you as God respects and, and seeks to affirm the dignity of people and the value of what is good and right and true. And I'm trying to, and so I'm humbling myself by honoring you. I'm humbling myself as I seek to obey God and affirm what he has said is right and good. I'm seeking to humble myself as I continue to worship and bow down. 
But again, let me get back to what I'm saying here. Don't see, don't hear this calling, this uh, to the humble he gives favor as a calling to be good. Be humble, be good. And then, then you'll deserve his favor. This rejects the whole deserving framework. Remember, the, the proud says, I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve attention. I deserve to be at the front of the line. And the humble, we're, we're not going to say, well, I'm humble, so really, I deserve to be at the front of the line. No, this rejects the whole deserving framework. True humility says, I, I, takes hold of this encouragement, this hope, this offer, this promise. Come humble and he will accept you. He will welcome you. He will bless you. And that's why it's true that humility comes before honor. And to the humble, he gives favor. I hope some of you are squirming in your seats now thinking, well, when's he going to get to Jesus? Because Jesus is the example, par excellence, quintessential example of humility leading to honor. See, he was the one who deserved every praise, every, all the glory. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us, he humbled himself to the place of a servant and ultimately to death on a cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to the shame of the cross. Death as a common criminal, a, a traitor, a rebel. He went to the cross, and that's why the Father exalted him to the highest place of glory. Because he went to the cross not just to show us the way to be humble, but to take all of our sins, all of our pride, our arrogance, our haughtiness, our scorn to pay the penalty for our sins as he was. Do you remember how scorned he was on that cross? The scoffing that took place? Not only did he pay for the sins of pride, he felt, he he knew what it felt like to be the, the object of derision, of disrespect, of contempt, when he was the one worthy of all adoration. He went there to take the penalty for our sins and to put them to death in us, to put pride to death in us. How, we say again, how can it be possible for a Christian who not only who knows who God is in the fear of the Lord, but know who, to, who knows who Jesus is and all that he did for us, how is it possible for a Christian to be proud the only answer I can give is that we've taken our eyes off of the Lord. We've taken our eyes off Jesus. So humble ourselves. Humble yourself. Trusting Jesus and following Jesus to honor. Following Jesus to glory. Receive the favor, the grace of God. It's wise to be humble because humility rises. Humility pleases. It pleases God. Isn't that where we want to be? in his blessing. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are too often proud. Maybe not in the blatantly arrogant way, but just as I 
was talking, somebody came up to me before this, this service, just sharing how easily offended they can be at petty things. So grateful that she, she acknowledged it's just, it's just pride. God, would you help us? Would you forgive us? Would you free us from the from the slavery to to believe that we that believing that we have to we have to show that we're better or we're nothing? But when we lower ourselves to where we truly are, can we trust you that you'll lift us up? to higher than we could, that we would ever deserve. Lord, would you give us your grace again? Lord, we know we're going to fail. That's why we keep coming back to you. But God, would you, would you make it true among us? There's no arrogance here. And... F- and free us from the temptation to be proud in our humility, <laughs> to, be, to be proud that we're, we're more humble than they are. God, would you, oh, Lord, we are so broken. Let us rest in all your goodness. Give us your grace once more and your mercy that is more, more than our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.